From their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, episode 30. The Golden Hippo. So, hi there, and welcome to The Spiel. My name is Stephen Conway. And I'm David Coulson. And uh, it's probably apparent to everyone that uh, my voice is uh, a little on the downward slope today. I'm hoping that we'll make it through the episode in sign language and beating on the table will not be... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think if we go our normal hour and 45 minutes... Uh, <laughs> it's going to be squeaks and squawks. <laughs> it's going to be very silent by the end of the show. <laughs> so, it's, it's going to be short for two reasons. One, my voice, and two, um, with the Memorial Day holiday coming up here, uh, we're recording this well in advance of our normal recording schedule to try to get this out the door since we have a holiday coming up and we both have plans for the holidays so um but we didn't want to leave you without your spiel on the regular schedule yeah we want to still pump out this episode (laughs) and it's going to be a cool one even though it might be a little short we've got some some great little games coming up i think so (laughs) i think in the list uh we've got a couple small games scavenger hunt and ink and gold (laughs) great cool little games how can you go wrong with fighting over carcasses or or golden idols (laughs) exactly (laughs) woohoo But uh, let's just jump right in and go before I before I die here. <laughs> Game news and notes. Okay, I've got a couple, just a couple little things uh, for this episode. First thing I wanted to talk about was Cartagena Two, due out in June. It was designed by Leo Colvini, co-published by Rio Grande Games and Winning Moves. It's for two to five players, ages eight and up. It's going to retail for $28. You're going to be able to find it for between 18 and 22. Personally, when I first heard this was coming out, I really didn't pay much attention to it. We have Cartagena 1. We've played it many times. It's a great little game. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't need a second copy of this. But then I went ahead and did a little more digging, and they've actually changed it considerably. Um, instead of just having like one island that you're trying to escape off of, you're actually escaping off of Cartagena, onto the sloop, taking the sloop to another island, and then trying to make your way to Tortuga. Oh, that's cool. And so, and then the other main, main huge mechanical difference is that you used to have to move your own pieces backwards to collect more right, cards right. so you could eventually go forward. You are now moving your opponent forwards to collect those cards, <laughs> which is which is kind of wacky. So this is always kind of a light game a lot of times compared to Candyland because of its mechanic. Um, but I think I might put this back on the list to give this guy a try. So I want to let you guys know that you know, you might take a, a second look at this because it's not like it first seems just a reprint of the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so the second thing real quick is Gip Project Set 3 Ooh, finally just yay. hit the shelves within like a week ago. <laughs> I can finally buy it. <laughs> exactly. So um, the whole, all the games in the project... Um, in the gift project and in these little project sets were designed by Chris Berm, co-published by Don and Company and Rio Grande Games. All the, all the games are for two players ages 9 and up. The little project sets are each $12, but you can find them for between 8 and 10 bucks. So the latest incarnation of this gives you those long-awaited potentials for Yinch and for Punt, which... Those I think when did they come out? Those games I think it's been like four years we've been waiting for yeah, some of those potentials. Yeah. 
So the good news is they're out. You can get them now. You can finally play the granddaddy of all games using all the potentials. The bummer is that I think we were all kind of waiting for an anthology like an omnibus project edition. Sets to come out, and I don't think that's going to happen. Ugh. It doesn't look... I think this is where it's going to end. I, I was so expecting you to say that. So it's, it's, Maybe I'm it's wrong, annoying. but from what I'm reading at the moment, they could change their mind in the future. Yeah. But um, now that everything's out... Go pick up this third set. Yeah. We can do the the whole big shebang. So look for this to be off our list. I'm not even sure if we have this on our list that um, we that we haven't played GIF as a project. Yeah, it should be. We should put but, it on there if it hasn't because yeah. we haven't done. We'll the be whole playing that off soon. Ugly, ugly. <laughs> That'll take like two days just well, to do that. I've been waiting to buy the whole thing because I was like, until it's complete, I don't even want right. to jump in. Once it's complete, then I'll. I'll go in full bore and get it all, and I was hoping that I might score one of those omnibus well, exactly. things. Exactly, and they still might easy. change their mind. But if anybody else beats us to this, um, and you use the potential for the um, the punkt and the yinch, let us know what you think about it. Yep. Cool. So what you got over there? Let's see. I've got um, two um, things, the first of which is hot off the presses. Um, <clears throat> will be a little old news by the time this episode comes out. But uh, the nominees for the 2007 Spiel de Jahr have awesome. been announced, and they are as follows. Um, Arcadia, which you just mentioned hey, cool. in News and Notes last week, uh, Jenseits von Theben, uh, The Thief of Baghdad, Isfahan, and Zuloretto. Um, oh, wow. So it's a really interesting uh, list. I think the biggest surprise is probably the one or two games that are not on the, the Spiel de Jahr list, and that would be uh, Pillars of the Earth and maybe Notre Dame. Right. Those are games that are getting pretty wide wide acclaim exactly. from a lot of different players. And I know there's some people that are really pretty surprised that neither the Pillars of the Earth or Notre Dame... I'm, I'm one of those. I'm surprised not to see one of those on now, there. Now, the Pillars of the Earth did make their short list, which I think is right. really nice of them to do. They sort of show the, the pool of games that <laughs> right. were, it was really hard to, to winnow down to the final choices. Um, but that's the the final five, and those will be announced uh, later this year. And well, I'm, I'm, there's a couple on that list that I probably hadn't looked at too closely that I'm going to definitely have to do yeah, that now. Yeah, we're dude, we're zero for five on that list. That's that's pretty bad that's for us. We we have to correct well, that very soon. We won't be because I have a list of that's stuff true. that I will be getting. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so that's a uh, that's uh, news item number one. Cool. Uh, number two is there's a new version of Blackbeard, the classic. Oh wow! Uh, Avalon Hill pirate game coming out sometime this year. They don't have a release date um, from GMT Games. Okay. Um, Richard Berg is updating um, the old Avalon Hill classic. It's for two to five. Players. Players. The old one lasted about three hours. It was a you know long drawn out game, but it was really a fun game. Um, <clears throat> it was one of the most popular and successful Avalon Hill games in the late eighties. I mean, it's a pirate game of a total totally different style of other from other pirate games because it simulated the actual life and careers of the historical pirates and how they went about their chosen professions. I don't, I don't even think you've played this. I, I have not played it. I've heard <clears throat> you talk about it many times. So Richard Berg has now taken, I'm sort of reading the canned text here from their little press release, Richard Berg has now taken the original and redesigned it almost entirely to bring it back into line with what gamers like to see and play these days. All those pirates that you loved, Black Bart, Roberts, Long Ben Avery, Ned Lowe, Lo, um, 
and of course Edward Teach, um, 23 in all, are still there, as well as the King's Commissioners that are sent out to stop them. However, the entire play system has been overhauled, and the result is a game that highlights and specializes in player interaction with almost no downtime uh, for Ah. other players, which that was the big gripe with the other one is. It would take you forever to do your turn, and then basically you didn't have much to do until it came back around to your turn. Which was a bummer with right, the old absolutely. game. It was still a good game, but that definitely brought that game down a little bit. Um, wow, but I'm cool. really looking forward because I, I still like the old Blackbeard, and to hear that they're actually improving it, I'm, I'm got my that one's on my radar. You don't have to twist my arm to play any pirate game. Period. <laughs> I've got the voice for the pirate today. <laughs> exactly, you do very much. So, last but not least, we're going to go ahead and cover the name that game. We obviously had a winner. And there was a huge difference between our second name that game and our first one because our first one took probably eleven days with just, several just squeaked I mean in. just squeaked in at the last moment and then this new one took mere hours and I had the winner with you know just within a few hours of the episode being out so the winner uh, was Carlos Hernandez awesome and he's going to get a free copy of Rage courtesy of Fundex game exactly awesome and now. What was the answer for anybody who's been patiently waiting for all this time? It was Tichu. <laughs> Lapsong Sushong is a type of tea. Exactly. <laughs> and the candy from Charleston, the Charleston Chew, <laughs> gives you tea. Chew. Okay, you can now reach through your iPod and smack us about the head and shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I suck at making puzzles because this one was way too easy. I, I to thought the... it was. I thought it was great. Even though we had um, a guess early on, we still didn't get very many um, actual guesses. A correct, you know, we got the correct. one correct. We had lots of guesses. Exactly. Just not a correct one. Exactly. <laughs> just so. the timing. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. We've had two two of those so far. They've gone really well. We've had two winners. So remember to look out somewhere in this episode for our third try at this. A very crazy and fun one that I think uh, you guys will all enjoy. So it could be any time. And remember, the answer is always going to be the name of a game. So just keep those ears open and, and good luck. The List. Over a decade ago, we took up the challenge of playing every unplayed game in our collection. Each week on The Spiel, we play one or two games off our unplayed list. The list started over 100 and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. So first off the list today is a scavenger hunt. Um... It was designed, it came out in 2005. The designer is Gunnar Holtgren. The game company is Goodman Games. Two to six players, plays in about 30 minutes. Um, It's available, I think, only at um, Goodman Games' website right now. I looked around and I couldn't find it on many of the online game stores, but it's $19.99 on through if you go to Goodman Games, and we'll, we'll include a link to their page in the show notes. Cool. If it sounds interesting to you after we're done. Um, so let's talk about um, the components a little bit before we get into the game. Um, there's 110 cards that are divided into um, the following piles. You've got scavengers, layers, carcasses, events, and skullduggery cards. You need, um, you'll need at least one six-sided die, but I would recommend that every player has their own die because it just makes the game go faster. 
Um, the object to this game, you're each playing a scavenger, <laughs> a different animal, and uh, you're trying to collect carcasses that are worth the most points. Awesome. <laughs> um, so, which is just a great idea <laughs> for a game, I have to say, just right off the bat. Um, so there's a point total that you determine before the, you begin the game, and the first player to collect that total number of points is going to win the game. A short game is 75 points, a medium game is 100, a long game might be 150. So you can kind of see the, the point range there. Um, there are basically two play areas in the game. There's your layer um, where you're going to keep your carcasses. You're going to drag them back to your layer and get score points with them. Um, and there's the savanna where all the dead carcasses are, and that's where you're going to go hunting for your carcasses. Um, so let's let's go over the cards a little bit before we really get into the, the game. Um, the scavenger cards. Each player is going to play as one of these six scavengers in the game. There's the hyena, the jackal, the crocodile, the leopard, the savanna monitor lizard, and, of course, the vulture. Um, the cards are double-sided. There's a color side with a nice cartoony sort of illustration and a wounded side that's black and white that shows the, the animal kind of shredded up. And yeah, a little bit of blood up. action. <laughs> um, because you're going to get in fights, of course, with the other animals over these uh, pieces of dead animals. Most often with the alligator or the crocodile, <laughs> yes. I mean. but <laughs> yeah, Especially if Jason's yeah. playing the crocodile. <laughs> um, so in addition to the scavenger card, so you're going to sort of randomly pick who gets to play what scavenger at the beginning. So in addition to the scavenger card, you're going to get a layer card. Um, each each scavenger has a layer. Um, these cards are played face up in front of each player, and this is where all your carcasses are going to go if you're lucky enough to bring some home. The layer cards also describe this, the scavenger's combat modifier their, and their starting skullduggery card total, as well as any special ability or abilities that that particular animal has. Um, the modifiers and starting total card totals are kind of self-evident you know there's just a number and that's if it's a combat that's the number you're going to add to the die roll if it's by the skull duggery symbol which is a little skull that's the number of cards of that type you're going to start with um but the uh, special abilities are worth delving into a little bit because that kind of was what differentiates the different right. scavengers from each other so the hyena for instance can swallow small carcasses while out in the open and prevent other people from stealing them and then can regurgitate them up in their lair. <laughs> Um, which is just hilarious, I think. Yeah. The vulture can circle the savanna and is immune from attacks when there are no carcasses on the board. The monitor lizard always wins fights on a roll of six or ties. Um, the croc can eat carcasses in his own layers to get more uh, skullduggery cards and so on. So you can see each particular animal has kind of a, a thing that sets it apart. And I like how the thing that sets it apart seems very much like the animal. They, they've gone to kind yeah, of exactly, a good, right. great lengths to make sure that the little special abilities kind of in some way reflect the animal, which big thumbs up for, exactly. <clears throat> for that effort. Um, so that's the layer cards. Um, the event cards add a nice element of chaos to the game. The events could add carcasses to the savanna or give you skullduggery cards. Of course, events could also send the crocodile hunter to mess with your meals, or a flash flood could wash all the carcasses away. So it's a mixed bag. You don't really know what you're going to get when you have to draw the when you when you choose to draw the right. um, event cards. Um, skullduggery cards. Um, each card of this is going to give your scavenger a temporary enhancement or advantage. So it could be like a plus one to your combat roll when you fight, or it could be a re-roll, or it could let you raid somebody else's lair when they're not at home, which is something you normally can't do. Um, last but not least are the carcass cards, <laughs> um, which is which are the real meat of the game. Boo. <laughs> 
Each card represents a dead animal or part of a dead animal. If it's possible to be silly and macabre at the same time, these cards find a way to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Each carcass has a title, a cartoony illustration, uh, a point total, and a funny saying. There are cards like elephant ears, which, yep, you guessed it, are <laughs> severed elephant ears. There's also the giraffe neck, the unidentified intestine, snake bites, and my favorite two of all, the two hippo halves, the business end and the party end of the hippo. <laughs> I'll leave it to you to decide which is which. <laughs> um, some carcasses are worth more points if they're part of a larger collection in your lair. So, for instance, the lizard tail is worth more if you also find the tailless lizard and so on. I'm not going to go into every single carcass, but there's some. Most of them have just a point value, and that's what they're worth. But some of them, they're kind of bonuses that kick in as you add add more bodies to your <laughs> to your layer. So here's the gameplay. It's it's so simple, it's not even funny. Um, basically, on each person's turn, you're going to move and then take an action. You can move to the savanna or to your layer. To begin with, everybody starts out in their respective layers. You can decide to stay put, but you must decide whether you're moving or not before you take whatever action you're going to take. Um, the one rule, unless you have a card that breaks this rule, is you can never move into someone else's layer unless you have some ability or card that allows you to break that rule. In the Savannah, you have three choices of actions, so which is where most of the game action is going to take place. So the three actions you can take in the Savannah are claim a carcass, draw an event card, or attack another scavenger. Claiming a carcass is simple. You just place your animal card over an unclaimed carcass, and you're done. Drawing an event is just as simple. You do what the event says to do on the card, top card. The one notable exception, though, is if you draw an event card that lets you put new carcasses out in the savannah, you can immediately claim one of those carcasses as your own. So that's a nice little bonus, but there's no guarantee because the events are all right. over the map. Um, lastly is the attack. Um, you can attack a scavenger that's either claiming a carcass or one just hanging out in the savannah. It's your choice. Combat is a single die roll. You add your com you add your combat modifier, which is on your layer card, if you remember, um, and you you know add your total and your defender rolls and adds his his modifier and see what the totals are. Um, if you're higher, if the attacker's higher, you win. Defender always wins ties. Um, Skullduggery cards, however, can be played to modify or affect the outcome of these battles, but they always have to be played before the dice are rolled. So you can't see, oh, I lost by one, and then decide to add one to your die roll. You have to decide, you have to commit to using it before you know what the die roll is going to be. So if the attacker wins, there are two possible outcomes. Um, if the defender was claiming a carcass, then that defender is kicked off the carcass, and the attacker is now claiming that carcass. So you ripped it out of the crocodile's mouth and now your lizard has it instead or something like that. If the defender was not claiming a carcass, then that defender is wounded. And what that means is the defender has to flip his animal card over to that black and white wounded side and immediately return to his lair, which um, we'll get into the, the consequences of that in a minute. Um, if the defender wins, the attacker suffers absolutely no penalty. So this encourages even the weeniest of animals to duke it out with the big boys because there's really no penalty for, for losing the die roll if you're attacking. 
basically the game is lather, rinse, and repeat from this point on. The next player clockwise is going to decide whether to move or not and take an action based on that. Um, the layer action is very simple. The only action really to take in the layer, there are two. Um, I guess I didn't cover that before I move on. Um, the layer action is you just drop off a carcass in your layer, which is going to give you points, which is how you win the game. Or if you have been wounded, um, you can lick your wounds, which you lose a turn, and you just flip your card over from its wounded side to the the, the good side, and that's basically your action. For some of us, spent the whole game licking. But we <laughs> yeah. won't talk about that now. <laughs> Dave and I both actually we played a five player game, and uh, our poor what my hyena and your lizard, my uh, monitor lizard, spent most of the game uh, <laughs> in somebody else's mouth most of the time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but there is one exception. You can actually. Um, skip that licking the wounds phase. If you have carcasses in your lair, you can choose to chomp down to, to eat a, an early lunch. You can get sacrifice one of your carcasses to not have that penalty of missing a turn, in which case you have to get rid of that carcass. It doesn't count towards your point total, which is painful, but you at least don't lose your turn that way. It's good if you have like a little five-pointer. You know, that might not hurt right. you so bad and would get you back into the game a turn earlier. So basically, you you decide where you're going to move, and then you take one of those three actions in the savanna. You're either going to claim a carcass, you're going to attack somebody for a carcass, or you're going to play an event. Remembering that the events are really the only way that the new carcasses are going to come out. So there's going to be times where you basically have no choice but to draw more events or just beat up on all the other animals um, in the game. Um, the real trick to this game, I think, is timing. Trying to hold on to the carcasses is going to be harder than you think. Um, even when you get them to your lair, they're never even completely safe then because they're event cards and, and special abilities that can let people sneak in and take them away from you. Uh, the event cards keep new blood cycling on and off of the savanna, and the skullduggery cards can easily tip the balance in that last dash towards victory in the fights. Um, the thing I guess I enjoy the most about this game is how well the theme is integrated into the mechanics of the game. Uh, the scavenger's abilities seem to really reflect, like I was saying, the aspects of the animals. The events and carcass cards exude a sense of wit that makes fighting over entrails fun in a way that is sure to attract a crowd of onlookers. I know when we played... The, you know, people would just hear snippets of our conversation <laughs> about, well, I'm going after that unidentified uh, uh, intestine. Entrail, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what the hell what are you the, guys playing? Right. <laughs> um, so what did you think, Dave? I, I think that was absolutely the best part. I think it did a, an awesome job at just eliciting silliness from the players, which any game that can do that just makes it fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, the um, the words on the cards were just the titles of the animals, the bodies out there, the carcasses. Hilarious, just absolutely funny. And like I said, it's just, it. I felt like it was more of a game that was designed specifically to be a social yes, type of thing. You know, the mechanics aren't ever going to win any awards. I mean, <laughs> attack this, roll this. But the game itself is just fun. It's just silly, absolute fun, and I don't think... I mean, any game that can accomplish that is awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's, we've probably said it so many times, people are sick of it. But that's, you know, that's our basic benchmark for any game, is if, if, it, meet, if it reaches that bar, if you can sit down and after having played it say, you know, I had a whale of time playing this, it was fun, then yep. it succeeded on some really basic level that right. you can quibble and nitpick about things that you would definitely want to be better about right. the game. But, you know, if if you had fun at the end of the day, that really, you know... You have to give 
kudos yeah, where kudos belong. Just envisioning yourself, you know, <laughs> chomping on somebody else's animal and stealing body parts from them was just silly, bloody fun. Yep. <laughs> and you can play the wide age range too, because we oh, yeah. had uh, Brigetta and uh, Max, <laughs> so their their son was playing, and I think he had yeah, as yeah, much yeah, fun. he was just fun as hell. <laughs> All he ever wanted to do was attack the um, monitor the, lizard. That's yeah. it. Just attack me. Let's just kill him. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> I think Dave and I ended up with one carcass in yeah, our layer. Yeah, carcass. like, oh, I've got 75 yeah. in mine. <laughs> I might have even only had a part of a carcass. Yeah, I had I had the unidentified intestine. That was the only <laughs> thing I had. <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun, though. But I would I would encourage you definitely for social interaction. I, we were talking about lunch break games, and the last one, this would definitely oh. be an awesome lunch break game because it plays so quickly. Right. Um, I would definitely uh, encourage you to check out Scavenger Hunt, especially I like bringing small attention to small press games. Right. Goodman Games, just by the way, they're known kind of more for their role-playing supplements. They do a whole line of sort of classic old D&D, right. uh, like the old S4, you know, Assault on the Barrier Peaks or stuff like that, doing those kind of old D&D-style modules. So this is kind of a departure for them. So to me, even more kudos. They're kind of branching out into new areas of games, and I think they actually have a – a good, a, right? They've they've made a good entry with their first first couple. I, I, tries I might here. recommend if you're going to find yourself at a con this summer because that's where we picked up our copies. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're actually having trouble finding that or something like that, if you find yourself at one of the cons this summer, maybe you'll even find the author there, like we did. Yeah, um, and get a great deal on this game because it's definitely worth it. Even signed our copies, which I thought exactly. was really cool. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, so there you go, um, Scavenger Hunt, first game off the list. Cool. So the second game off the list was Ink and Gold. It was a game that was designed by Alan Moon and Bruno Fiduti, published in 2007 by Sun River Games. This is, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, a Fun Again exclusive. Um, So it's $20, and that's what you're going to pay for them. You can only get it, like I said, at Fun Again or one of its brick-and-mortar affiliates Affiliates. that a lot of game stores are becoming. Um, This is, in fact, the English-language version of Diamant, which was published back in 2005, I think, by Schmidt Spiele. Um, so the games are one and the same. There are some differences, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So let's look at the story first behind Ink and Gold. <laughs> so in Ink and Gold, the players take on the role of adventurers who are exploring an Incan temple, rumored to contain priceless treasures and artifacts. Of course, the temple is also full of dangers, so getting out with the loot is not going to be as easy as you think it is. Only an adventurer who knows when enough has been gained and still can get out safely will be the ultimate winner. So that's kind of like their little color action for the story. That's cool. Um, basically, in game terms, the game is a push-your-luck greed-style card game, which not a lot of greed games, of which there are a lot of, are actually card games that don't use dice, which is kind of cool. So it's played over the course of five rounds, and at the end of the game, whoever has the most treasure after the fifth round wins the game. Pretty simple. So let's take a look at the components, which will be mostly cards, since it's a card game. Uh, comes with five temple cards. Now, these are cool little double-sided cards that you're going to lay out in the middle of the table, and they're kind of like round markers. So every time you start the beginning of a round, you'll flip one of these over from its black and white side to its full color side, and that denotes which round you're currently in. And the round, they kind of form a temple. Yeah, they, temple, right? right. They form this, the front, the color pictures are of steps leading up this temple. And if you put them all together in the little pyramidal fashion, yeah. they actually can see this stairway leading to this ancient think, temple. Sort of beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> exactly. When I see it. <laughs> 
Um, then you also get um, player cards. There are 16 player cards. So at the beginning of the game, each player is going to get a torch card and a camp card. And you'll use these throughout the game to show the other players whether your intentions are to stay in the temple searching for treasure or to get the heck out and get some <laughs> score some cash. Yeah. Um, there's also eight tent cards. And this is, we definitely have to mention these. <laughs> yeah. um, they are actually pictures of a tent. And there is a whole entire sheet of paper that comes with this game that explains to you the different ways that you can assemble your tent. Whether you want, you know, the traditional camping tent or maybe you want a Quonson Hut tent. And they just uh, went way out of their way to be incredibly creative when yeah. talking about how to you know, build these tents. Yeah. Well, and I think you should say that, I mean, it, it's actually folding the card or, or manipulating the card in some way, not just keeping it flat. Right. To yeah. Make actually, the, tent. the tents are used to hide your treasure um, while you're playing the game. And so you're basically just imagine a standard card folding that in half long ways. So it, it physically does make a tent type of thing and you get to store your treasure in there. But they've gone way, <laughs> way over the top and have a full page with description on three different ways <laughs> to fold the card. Just totally crazy. I was getting ready to actually kind of give them a little grief because this is one thing that differs from the original version Diamant. Diamant. Um, the original one had a treasure chest that was made out of card, you know, a nice heavy card stock that you put together. And I was going to give them grief for just including a card that you have to fold, but... Trust me, they more than made up for it with their creativeness on how to do the cards. So that was great. Uh, the other cards, you're going to get 30 quest cards. Now, the quest cards are made up of the treasures and the hazards that you're going to actually find while you're in the temple. And then there's also five artifact cards. Now, the artifact cards are cards that are going to be worth bonus points at the end of the game. At the start of a game, you're going to put one of these underneath each of those temple cards. So at the start of each round, when you turn over the temple card to denote the beginning of the round, you'll also see that there's an artifact there, and you're going to go ahead and shuffle it into the quest deck for this particular round, which is kind of cool. And then the only non-card components of the game are these really cool little plastic treasures that come with the game. They're kind of like just smushed up little opaque gems. Mm -hmm. They're really neat. They come in three different colors. They come in turquoise, obsidian, and gold. They're not quite as brightly colored as those things from Niagara. Right. But in shape, they're kind of similar. Yeah, they're, yeah, if you know exactly. the board game Niagara, the little gems that come with that, they're they're kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, they are very much so. And once again, I have to give them kudos. Um, they had some problems in the initial packaging of this game as to um, half of the um, turquoise gems were left out of the game entirely and replaced with the obsidian ones. And they could have just, you know, put other stuff in them, called them back, but they went out of their way, and they have a whole other piece of paper in there <laughs> that has a description of how these mysterious components went missing. It's like and a what news you can, report. Yeah, it's, it's just classic, great kudos to actually fixing the problem in such a creative way. Yeah, good spin control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's take a little look at the game and exactly how each round kind of works. Um, basically painfully simple on um, each round you're just going to have to decide whether you would like to stay in the temple or whether you want to leave it's assumed that at the beginning of every round everybody is in the temple because there's no reason not to be in the <laughs> temple so what you're really deciding is am I going to stay in the temple or am I going to leave and you have two cards you have that torch card and that camp card and you secretly choose which one you would like to do and then on the count of three or whatever everybody reveals their card at the same time and then the card shows whether you've decided to stay in the temple or decide to leave. Um, if you've chosen to stay in the temple, 
then one card from that quest deck is turned face up. If it's a treasure card, then all of the players who have decided to stay in the temple get to split that treasure evenly. And if for some reason there's some leftovers, then the leftover treasures will be left on that particular card. Um, if it is an artifact, then there's no effect right now. But now that there's an artifact out there, at some point later, uh, later point in the round, if you actually choose to leave, you might get to collect that artifact. I'll kind of explain how that works in a minute. Uh, the third type of card that could come up is the hazard card. If the hazard card is the first of its type, we'll just say that it was snakes. <laughs> if it's the very first time you've seen a snake in this round, nothing happens, you're cool. If it's the second of a kind, so if it's that second snake card that comes up, then all the players that are in the temple are scared out of the temple. They lose any treasure that they have collected up to that point, and then a whole new round is going to begin. So that therein lies There's the kind the pressure of luck. pressure luck kind of thing. How long can you stay in the temple before the second of any one type of hazard card you know, can be revealed? And there's, what, three of each type of hazard? Right, there's five different types of hazards, and there's three of each card. The other cool thing to note that is when a, when a second type does come up, um, one of those hazards is removed from the game. Hmm. So since there's three so of a kind... it's less likely that that yeah, one... Exactly. So you're only going to ever run into snakes twice in a game, period. So basically, at the end of the turn, if, if there are pe- still people in the temple, then the round is going to continue with those people in the temple still deciding yet again, do I want to stay in the temple longer? And going through the thing of shuffling through your two cards, revealing them simultaneously, that goes on until everybody's kicked out. Now, the other option is with your cards is to choose to leave the temple, <laughs> which is what's going to happen is any of the treasure, if you remember I said that sometimes there was an odd amount of treasure that was left out on the cards. If you leave, then you're going to get to take all that treasure. Of course, you have to divide it evenly with any other players who have opted to leave on this particular turn. If it's nobody, you're going to get it all to yourself. If there's several people, you'll split that up again. But the cool thing is once you leave, all the treasure that you've taken from earlier turns and set beside your tent, you can now finally put it in your tent, and it is safe till the end of the game where it will score points from you. The other thing that we want to talk about here is the artifacts. Uh, we said that we talk about this a little bit later. If you are the only person to leave and there's one or more artifacts out on the table right now, then you will get them. If there's multiple people that leave, then they're kind of still left out there. So, And those score anywhere from 5 to 10 points at the end of the game. Yeah. So, so kind of the game is trying to figure out how can you be the only person to leave, you know, <laughs> try and play your camp card when everybody else plays torches yeah. so you can score these artifact cards and get them away, which is really cool. Get into everybody else's head, too, and go, well, I think they're going to leave this turn, so if I leave, I know I'm not going to, you know, I can prevent them from getting the artifact, but I also am not going to get it myself, too. Right, Exactly. <laughs> And that's that's really all there is to this game. Five simple rounds like this, you get to the end, you add up all the treasure that you've scored in your tent, and the highest score wins. It's just a classic, classic pressure luck greed style game that has managed to find a couple of new tweaks that really, I think, really emphasizes player interaction possibly a little more than some of the other games. I can't think of another pressure luck game that, that does such a good job of emphasizing that kind of interaction because most of the time it's you taking your turn and pressing your luck and not everybody right. basically taking their turn at the same time. Exactly. Um, pressing their luck at the same time. Right, and and obviously your um, your choice has a huge impact on 
the other people's turns because if you know if you're leaving at the same time, you're splitting stuff. If you can figure out how to leave by yourself, you're getting it by yourself. If you don't leave at all, you may be in at the very end for a big haul yourself. Right. It's just it's really cool. <laughs> I liked it a lot. It's, Obviously, you told me what you liked about it already. Anything else that stands out? Um, the, the I guess the basically the fact that. They found a way to take that mechanic and remove the dice, to, to do it with cards in a way that, um, you know, it's not going to win any strategy awards. If you like, if you don't like press your luck games, you're not going to like this game anyway. Right. But I, I think they found that little way to tweak it um, that really makes it enjoyable and I think opens up that kind of press your luck game to maybe even a wider audience than maybe, – maybe that's not true. I mean, Cosmic Wimp Out and those kind of games are about as wide appeal as you can exactly. possibly – want but it, it feels like it has a little more meat to it than something like cosmic wimp out right and, it does. and you feel even though it's not true you feel like you have more control right over exactly. it in this weird way because you go well okay there's still a couple of those snakes left so i'll keep going a little bit longer and it has the feast or famine kind of thing that all press your luck games have i mean i got my ass totally <laughs> kicked when we played. i've always loved the card <laughs> Uh, the mechanic of everybody playing their cards simultaneously, and certain things happen based on who chose what and everything. It's the proverbial, well, and I can clearly not choose the cup on my left, yes. you know, syndrome. You know, you're always like trying to one-up, be able to outthink your opponent, which I think is impossible, yeah. but it's sure fun to try. But with the artifacts, I'm glad that the artifacts are in there, because even though if you're way behind... If you Absolutely. got insanely lucky at the end, you could actually still win the game because I was way far behind on the treasure total. But I, if things had played out just right and I had been managed to get several of those artifacts, I could have actually made my way back into contention. So you're never you're never really out, even if you have really bad luck and <laughs> get eaten by spiders and caved in and <laughs> and attacked by zombie Incans and all sorts. Exactly, of fun I would stuff. have to. Um, as much as because I'm a huge fan of greed style games, I would have to put this in in my top three. Because I think that Cosmic Wimp, Wimp Out can't stop, and now Ink and Gold are probably my favorite You know, push-your-luck games, even though they're probably more than we could possibly count. Especially when it scales up to eight people. Oh, yeah, that's <clears> awesome. That, I that forgot the crazy. Yeah, that's crazy cool. We ha I haven't had a chance to play with eight people yet, but I will be looking for that chance as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's the second game off our list, um, <laughs> brings, Ink and Gold, which brings the list down to what? 139. Awesome. <laughs> However... However, <laughs> however, <laughs> the uh, list goes right back up to 141 because I bought two games this week. Uh, <laughs> we, what'd you get? We went to an antique store and I found two antique board games that really look cool. Oh. Um, one called Dig from 1940. <laughs> that's this weird word building game with little wooden mallets with sticky stuff on the end what? of the mallets and little <laughs> word tile. I mean, it's just so weird and cool. Wooden mallets with sticky stuff on Yeah, them. there's like a little note saying, you know, this, the sticky stuff might have worn off, but you can like warm them up in your hand and it will make them sticky again. I'm, if that game was published today, somebody would be sued over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's... And then I got, what was the other one? Cardino, um, which wow. is like vintage 1970s Milton Bradley, I think. Um, and it looks like a really cool little sort of playing card board game, but as he's really cool, like, you know, Stratego? Uh -huh. Kind of like pieces like that, but oh, wow. they have like card suits. Oh, that's them, awesome. And just looks cool, but I scored a couple of those. I wasn't expecting to buy anything and found these two really <laughs> cool games. And uh, um, so the list goes back up to 141. Wow. Usually it's you, so I'll, <laughs> it's I'll, about, I'll, yeah. it's I'll your claim, turn. <laughs> claim uh, guilty <laughs> for making the list go up this time. <laughs> Backshelf Spotlight. These games need some love, 
and we're going to give it to them. The back shelf spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention. Classic games, rare games, obscure games that you may not know about, but you should. If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start. Okay, well, I think first we have to tie up some uh, loose ends from uh, last episode's uh, backshelf connection. Right. <laughs> and we, it was kind of our first real trial period of, of using our website for everybody to With log on and exactly use the forums to get their guesses. And I thought this was going to be tough, and lo and behold, <laughs> we had two people just absolutely nail it. Right, right. We had, we had lots of really cool guesses all the way from, like, cryptography to uh making the pizza guy mad to yeah, that, was, that was awesome the, oh what was the other the most recent one about the names of the designers having some really obscure connection but log on to the spiel.net and Please, go to the backshell yes. spotlight forums and you get to read all the whack out whacked out uh responses that people have put they in, are well worth they're reading. really fun <laughs> um but we did have two winners two people who nailed the connection um we had tim rogers and Ben Tichy, um, who both nailed the Mystery Connection, which was... The fact that the titles of both games had units of measure in them. <laughs> so we had Quarto, Court, and Flinch, Inch. Awesome connection. Stephen came up with that. I thought it was cool as heck. I actually thought it was going to be a little tougher. Yeah. But, this uh, is my week to put together really sucky puzzles, apparently. I, or really I, easy. I, Not I sucky, just easy. <laughs> I don't think so. I think the scary part was that there was a few people out there that were like on the same wavelength as yeah, you. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so we'll have the little dice off here cool. to see who will walk home with these set of spiffy spiel dice. Here we go. And the winner is... Ben Tichi in Calistoga, California. Congratulations, awesome. Ben. Awesome. Congratulations. We'll be contacting you shortly, and you will be receiving a spiffy set of brand-new laser-cut custom spiel dice. So congratulations. Very cool. Um, remember, we're gonna, we play this game every week. There's a connection between the two games in the Backshelf Spotlight. You want to log on to the forums on thespiel.net, and we'll have a little forum posting for each episode, and you post your guess. Um, there to what you think the connection is and feel free to banter back and forth and brainstorm and and even if you somebody else gets to the you know says oh well that that one sounds right i mean you can you don't don't feel like you have to be original if you think that's the actual connection you can put that down too jumping on the band bandwagon is fine we're we're not opposed (laughs) to that (laughs) Um, so we'll look forward to seeing what your guesses are for the next two games the connection between the two games which are filthy rich and liar's dice, <laughs> obvious, oh, obvious. Yeah, yeah that's plain as day. Too. <laughs> <laughs> so the first game in the backshelf spotlight is Filthy Rich. Um, it was uh, it came out in 1998. Richard Garfield is the designer. Wizards of the Coast was the publisher. It's uh, for two to five players. Plays in about an hour. Fortunately, it's out of print at the moment. You can if you look on eBay and places, you can probably still find a copy, but it's not not readily available. You you're going to have to do a little searching to, to find a copy of this one. <clears throat> so Filthy Rich is a card game that's played with a binder and four pages of Ultra Pro card protector pages. Really? I'm He's not, not joking. <laughs> that's right. The board is a binder. So players are going to launch business billboards in the form of cards that are going to be placed into the slots of the pages of this binder. 
You pay money based on the businesses and the size of the sign, and you must also pay a covering cost if your sign covers up a sign that was already in a previous page. There's a die roll during every turn, a la Settlers of Catan. Um, There's four ten-sided dice and a six-sider that can be rolled during this turn. Um, You roll the ten-siders equal to the number of the page you're on. So if you're on page one, you roll one. If you're on page four, you're going to roll four of those ten-siders. And just like in Settlers of Catan, the numbers that you roll on these ten-siders are going to indicate which businesses earn money, are going to pay off. But you have to keep in mind, though, that because there are four of these pages, your signs might not be visible, depending upon which of those those pages is actually flipped over on a given turn. So really interesting um, mechanic in terms of, of trying to get your businesses on the right page and, and scoring when your business is on that page. Um, there are also, uh, what are they called, asset and action cards, right. which can affect all sorts of things. They add sort of an element of chaos to the game as well as a way, extra ways that you can earn money. Um, and then at the end of the turn, um, you're going to roll a six-sided die to determine uh, which page you flip to. So the pages are going to change. That's going to be in flux as to which signs. It's kind of, I, I like to imagine it, if you imagine like in Asia, walking down one of those brightly lit up um, avenues with all the blinky all lights and all neon, the different neon right. signs that, you know, turning the pages like you've walked down the street a little bit farther and now you're seeing a different, you know, the neon landscape there. Um, that just to give you kind of a visual for what 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 the game I think is going for. Right. Um, now the name of the game really is Cashola. You're trying to earn as much money as you can off of rolling the dice and getting the cash coming in from the different businesses that you're going to start. Um, there's a big stack of luxury cards, and they're worth different amounts. And the object of the game is to actually acquire three luxuries. Now the luxuries start as low as six dollars for a personal trainer, and they go all the way up to forty-five dollars for your personal. Uh, your own private space shuttle. Exactly. <laughs> um, so the key is to you know once you start earning money, try to snap up those those small ones quickly. Uh, I guess the one complaint that people tend to have about this game is that you can kind of get the runaway leader if somebody's able to sweep up a couple of those cheapies early right. on. But I think that's easily fixable. A lot of people just take out those you lower, can, you can take lower, out the lower dollar ones, ones so you're you have playing, to build out. Build exactly. up a, you're playing with experienced players. They're just not going to let that happen. Exactly. Um, so that's the basic gist of the game. You have these binders. You're, you're buying businesses, putting in. The one last thing I want to note about this this game, because I'm not going to go, you know, we're not covering the whole gist of the game, is the, the businesses themselves are hilarious. Oh, the they're cards, awesome. Wonderfully illustrated with the business names, like there's the Squat and Gobble, which <laughs> sells turkey fritters, or Murphy's Fish House that boasts Amateur Clogging Night, or Stern, Smith, and Bubba, Tattoos and Taxes, or the Stripe Monkey Pub, that their slogan is, a step down the ele- ele- <laughs> step down the evolutionary ladder. Um, so th- there's just there's a lot of flavor to the game in terms of the businesses that you're building and stuff. I'd encourage you to check it out. It gets really swept under the rug with all the other Watsy games that came out um, during that time period with Robo Rally and Magic the Gathering and things. This one is, I think, sort of the the red yeah. redheaded stepchild. Yeah. It doesn't get the attention that you know it probably deserves. So I can not say, exactly yeah. old, but definitely worth your attention in a second look. I consider this probably one of the most creative mechanically to come out in a long time. Yeah, you open the box and you're like, okay, where's the game? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just awesome. <laughs> so Filthy Rich, first game in the Backshelf Spotlight, second game. 
is Liar's Dice, a game that actually was published, first, the first publication was in 1974 by E.S. Lowe, but there were versions before, and there's been many, many, <laughs> many, many, many versions after. Um, you might be familiar with Dudo, Perudo, Bluff, Call My Bluff, any one of the myriad variations of Pirate's Dice, um, a little thing called Mexicali, all in the same family of Liar's Dice. A couple that I think are notable that we'll talk about real quick are um, Bluff and Call My Bluff. They were actually published in 93 by FX Schmid, designed by Richard Borg, and actually won the 1993 Spiel de Yar. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's pretty cool. That's very interesting. Um, What I'm going to tell you about today is just the basics of Liar's Dice, because there are so many versions. You're going to go, well, I play it with this, and I play it with this. So we're just going to kind of cover the the idea behind Liar's Dice rather than a specific version. So in Liar's Dice, each person has a dice cup and five dice. It, the, the game is played over several rounds. During each round, at least one player will lose at least one die. And a player who has lost his last die is out of the game entirely. So the game continues until one player wins by being the last player to have any dice. So that's basically just, it's really easy. Um, at the start of the game, all players shake up their dice and their dice cups, and then this is super important. You have to <laughs> slam down your dice cup on the table as hard as you can. <laughs> now, you keep your cup on the table because you don't want to lift it up and reveal the results of the dice. This is secret from everybody else. If you need to look at your dice, which you'll need to, you kind of just tip your little dice cup up, peek under it, and see what you have under there. But you definitely want to keep them secret from everybody else. So after everybody shake their dice up, slam down the table, make sure that they're flat, and so the result, you take a peek, you see what you have, the, open, the first player is going to make an opening bid. So just what exactly is a bid? A bid is a claim that a certain amount of all dice in play are showing a particular number. So you may, let's, let's say there's three of us playing, we each have five dice, so we know that there's 15 dice in play. You may say, I think there are four threes. Or three sixes. Anything you want up to the max of obviously 15 in our example here. Um, So you just make that opening bid. After that, you have all players have two choices. To either raise that bid or to challenge the bid. Mm -hmm. So there's two ways that you can raise. You can either raise the quantity of the current value. So let's say that we chose three fours. You could say, oh, well, I think there's four fours or five fours or six fours. Or instead of changing the quantity, you can raise the current value, but any quantity. So if we were talking about fours, you can now go from five fours to maybe only one five. So there's two ways that you can raise the bid like that. But you have to go up. On the always, you always have to go up. You always have to go up. If you, um, if you don't think that, all, that the dice out there, that there's enough dice out there to satisfy the current bid, then you can opt to make a challenge, and that's really simple. If Steven said, I think there's nine fives, I can go, you are totally full of crap. I am challenge you. And at that point, everybody is going to lift their dice cup up. You're going to look at all the dice out there, and now you're actually going to count the number of fives or something like that. So every time there's a challenge, that's definitely going to end the round because you're exposing all the dice. And you're going to look through and you're going to say, okay, was there really, you know, nine of those guys or was there less or was there more? Um, Whoever is considered the loser is actually going to lose dice. So if the challenger was incorrect and there really were that many dice, then the challenger is going to lose a number of dice equal to the difference between the actual bid or the bid and the actual number. And exactly vice versa of that if the bidder is the loser because there wasn't enough. 
So hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> there is one little weird thing. Occasionally you'll have somebody challenge, and the bid just happened to be exactly right, which is rare. And in that case, everybody but the bidder loses a single die. <laughs> So basically, it's a race to be the last player with any dice left, and you're constantly losing little oneers and twoers because you were, oh man, I could have swore there'd be 12 and there was only 10 of those darn right. things, so I lost these. And the dice are taken out of commission, right? They're oh, not, yeah, they're, they're removed they're from not, the game. They're yeah. not going to someone yeah. else just to make right. that if clear. I were If I were to lose <clears throat> um, the round and lose two dice, in our um, previous example, now there's only going to be 13 dice. Yeah. in the game and we're going to start a new round with obviously me at a disadvantage because i only have three dice much harder to bluff when you don't have as much ammo as you should have right right so just to quick mention um some of the other options that are available that's just kind of the basic the core from yeah the which core all the of the game games. exactly you're going to see versions that include boards so you can actually mark the the bid you're going to see versions that have wilds on the dice so that you can the wilds count as a whole value themselves or can be used as any other value. So that's kind of wacky. You're going to find versions that let you re-roll. You can kind of show some of your dice and then re-roll the remainder of them, which makes your bid that more plausible. <laughs> so, And you're going to find versions that allow you to gamble, you know, and have several pots, you know, yeah. either round pots or game pots. So there's... It, it goes on forever. There are so many <laughs> of these games out. But this... This is a classic that's yeah. probably been around much longer than people think it's been around. Oh, yeah. When I thought well, we did the pub game thing, that's one that I was kind of surprised. I don't think anybody brought Nobody, up right. in the pub game because I remember seeing that when I was um, <clears throat> at university in England and studying over there. I can remember seeing people playing Liar's Dice and for money. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Um, and that was that was cool. I, and I just, my, uh, my that's f- what I think of when I think of Liar's Dice. Exactly. My first playing. introduction was through Mexicali. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't right. know that. That was my first introduction to Liar's Dice, and it's a version where there's only one cup and five dice, and the dice are passed around, and you're still doing the bidding time. It's a really wacky. I think you can find the rules online. Hmm. So if that's I don't something think I've ever played that way. Sometime we'll, sometime we'll dig that puppy yeah. out. It's not like we don't have five dice and a dice cup. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we could scare yeah, that. Yeah, out. exactly. <laughs> so those are the uh, two games in the back shelf spotlight. We had Liar's Dice and Filthy Rich, two great, great little games that you should you should look up. One, you should be able to play with just the spare parts in your closet. Yeah. The other one you might have to get on eBay, but well it's worth, worth it. It's worth seeking out, I'd say. It's just so unique. You're not going to have another game like it in your collection. Right. And remember, there's an evil connection. <laughs> <laughs> so log on. Get on those forums and let us know what you think the connection is. Remember, the web address is thespiel.net. Truckloads of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines Goober as either a game with a ton of quality components or a game with really unique components. Now, we're not saying that you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff the goober in a game can be a factor in having fun. Great goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great goober can make an already great game sublime. Let's see what the Goobermeisters have for us this week. So my turn with uh, Goober again this week. This one uh, comes, we've, we're getting a lot of uh, submissions from from listeners out here. Uh, uh, David Siskin in Playa del Rey, California, past uh, winter 
of uh, right. some spiel dice. He he's been uh, sending lots of goober suggestions, cool. and this one comes a uh, convert <laughs> <laughs> comes via Mister Siskin. So thank you for this suggestion. It's a really good one. Um, so truck for truckloads of goober this week. We're going to cover Duel in the Dark. Uh, it's set to come out this year, 2007. I don't know that it has a firm release date yet. Cool. Uh, Friedman De Pedro is the designer. Z-Man Games is the publisher. I think this summer is their hope okay. in terms of when it's supposed to come out. One to two players kind of even has a solitaire version ah. of about 45 minutes. It's a World War II air combat game. I didn't want to, but I had to. Why? He was in my way, right in front of me. You could have just walked away. I had no choice. Nowhere to turn, no thanks to you. How was I supposed to know you'd walk through my... Whatever. It really threw a... My plans. I suppose he had it coming. We've all got it coming, Phil. You know, I've been meaning to ask. Where does this... Lead? Looks like someplace dark and... Really cool. So I'm just going to read a little bit of the flavor text and then get straight into the goober because, good lord, <laughs> the, the most funny thing is you go to the Z-Man site and like when they have just their little bullet description of the game for components, it just says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's <laughs> and great. then you have to go to like the separate page to see the full list. So awesome. World War Two. It's a World War Two air combat game depicting the nighttime air raids of the Brit- of British bombers um, hitting German cities. As the head of the British Bomber Command, you plan the attacks on Germany in order to undermine the morale of the civilian population. Or as the general of the German Air Force, the Luftwaffe, uh, you defend your you defend using your ace squadrons and organize an, an effective civil defense. The game board enables you to set up countless variations on historic events. You play as many nights as you wish. Each night takes about 30 to 45 minutes to play. Gameplay allows for easy entry into the action with some advanced rules for the hardy wargamer. The game rules include weather conditions, full moon, new moon bonuses and penalties, clouds and thunderclouds, fog, flak, searchlight, balloon barriers, target markers, and more. Um, the British player secretly plots the course of their bombers, while the mosquito acts as an escort or a decoy to the <laughs> bombers. The German player tries to figure out where the bomber is going and to make sure to efficiently use the fuel to get as many hits on the bomber as possible. Ah. So that gives you kind of an overview. Sounds like a really, it's yeah, a really cool concept cool. for the game. Um, so I'm going to try to do this in one long <laughs> breath because it is an amazingly long list of uh, goober that comes wow. with this game and definitely belongs on the list. Lay it so, on us. One twenty-eight page instruction booklet, one game board, two victory point reference cards, six aircraft holders, four fighter squadron that are cardboard, four, uh, one bomber fleet cardboard, one mosquito cardboard, four fuel indicators, 32 compass cards, one summer card, 12 weather cards, 21 plastic holder for weather elements, 21 cloud and thunderstorm elements, four fog hexes, 16 flak tiles, 16 searchlight tiles, eight radar tiles, six fire 
100 apartment tiles, 8 smokescreen tiles, 6 balloon barrier tiles, 12 civil, civil bunker tiles, 8 fuel truck tiles, 8 target slash bomb markers, 1 yellow full moon marker, 1 blue new moon marker, 1 orange summer marker, 1 red victory point marker, all wood, 16 medals, 6 change of wind direction cards, 2 change of weather cards, and 1 MW50 marker. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I had dead. to hold my breath so I didn't. I'm Holy dead. crap. <laughs> Woo! All that in this one little game. Wow. That's we'll some include, serious goober. We'll include pictures. It's really cool. There's little plastic stands um, for the, the actual bombers and the planes that you know make them look like they're flying over awesome. the board, which is really cool. Um, just just really interesting looking um, game. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this one, and I really thank David for bringing this yeah, one to our cool. attention, and and thanks for testing my <laughs> testing my <laughs> breath capacity with this uh, goober list because I haven't seen a goober list that long. No, in that's great. Quite a while. So um, if you're if you're into goober, check out Duel in the Dark. The game sommelier, or right game, right crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, the Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor, to be called the Game Sommelier. So Dave, uh, your your massive challenge, <laughs> and it was a big one, came from listener Brad Sanford, um, who wanted you to find five games for a Cub Scout campout with the following requirements. They have to be able to accommodate 20 plus people. They have to be accessible to seven-year-olds, but fun for adults as well. They can be played while sitting around the campsite. They won't have access to picnic tables or other playing surfaces. They cannot have small pieces that would easily become lost um, if dropped in the grass. And they have to be in print or readily available. So, uh, And I'll add as a preface that I sort of gave him a, a little list, a little cheater's list. I cool. fully admit I had to cheat because <laughs> I, I was not up to this task, but I'll throw mine in a little bit later. But this was your cool. challenge, so let us have it. Well, I guess I have to add that I quasi-cheated also. Just because um, I, I did find five games that fit all those criteria with doing tweaks. You have to tweak the games okay, uh, rather than just play them straight out of the box kind of deal. So I guess we will start at the beginning with Pass the Bomb. Um, I'm not sure if, any, if you guys have heard of this game. It's a fun little kind of hot potato type of thing, whereas it comes with this really cool little plastic timer that is shaped like a bomb. And at the start of the game, you typically turn over a card which has a series of letters on it, and you are now going to try to come up with words that start with these letters or end with these letters or have these letters in the middle. I don't really think that's going to be fun for seven-year-olds with the letter type of thing. So what I would do is I would come up with your own categories um, for maybe naming um, types of animals or plants or typical Cub Scout things, yeah. you know, activities that you would do or things like that. Food. Or food or anything like that rather than using the cards. And you start the timer 
And when the bomb is in your hand, you have to come up with something that fits the category that nobody else has thought of yet. And if you do, then you can pass the bomb. And you keep going this way, in this case, around your campfire until the little timer goes off and the bomb explodes in somebody's hand. And that person is either put out or loses points or however you want to work it out because it wouldn't be really fun to put somebody out for the next 20 rounds of a game. Right, yeah. Um, but I, I think that this um, could be easily adapted to your situation um, so that would be my first pick, pass the bomb. I like it. I like it a lot. I, I would even say that the word thing isn't too hard for seven-year-olds. If you just made – you could make big flashcards so everybody could see because if you're playing with a big group of people right. um, that just had a, a single letter instead of being a multiples of letters. So it has to start with the letter – you know, T or TH or something like that. Right. I mean, you could you could simplify it a little exactly. without even giving up the word thing. Cool. But I like your categories thing, too. I mean, you could do a mixture yeah, absolutely. of the two. You know, okay, now we have to come up with words that have, you know, ST in them or something. Right. As well as doing the categories. I, I like that. Thumbs up. Cool. Awesome. Okay, my next pick um, Of course, is... I have to like it because it's also on my list. Oh, I'll you picked that one? Out. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you even said to me, oh, I bet you didn't pick anything that's the same. I didn't think I there's... totally picked it. <laughs> wow. That's out of all the games. Okay, cool. Maybe we will pick some of these together. Okay, my second pick is a game that kind of has two names, and it's not something that you can buy. It's called a white elephant or a dog party game. And this is basically where everybody sits in a circle much like sitting around a campfire, <laughs> and rolls dice in some type of container. So you guys are out camping. You can you pick any type of containers. Um, a lot of people even use two pairs of dice. So let's say that you take um, a bowl with a pair of dice in it and another bowl with another pair of dice in it, and though they start on opposite ends of the corner. On your turn, you roll the dice. If you get a 7 or 11, you get to collect something. Usually it's a gift, but in this particular situation, it could be maybe like a card with the next day's activities or chores or whatever have you whatever you want to put on me so if you win 7 or 11 you stand up run over to the box grab your little card out and pass the dice over you keep doing this for one round until all the cards or whatever you choose has been drawn out of a box once that's done now you start a second round where instead of when you roll 7 or 11 you instead of grabbing them out of a box you're now going to go and grab them from the other people who had already won them and when the person wins something, they'll be able to open the card and look at it and go, oh, mess duty. Hmm, not really something I was hoping to do tomorrow. And so he's hoping that somebody will steal it from him. As you um, go on and play later rounds, you can create mechanics and dice rolls to go with those mechanics. So maybe 7-11 on the first round, maybe on the second round, 7-11, or 11, and now maybe Snake Eyes allows you to give something away that you don't want. And maybe doubles allows you to take something from somebody and give it to somebody else. You know, I have no idea what you would use, you know, as the cards, but it'd be kind of a memory thing in that, well, I've seen this card be given away four times. I'm <laughs> guessing I don't want that. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. I, I think you could have a good time if you can find the right the right way to have the rewards for, you know, rolling the correct dice yeah. rolls and stuff. That's got a great metagaming aspect right, to right. it where the game sort of seeps into the rest of the activities that you're doing at the camp out. And, and all you really need is just a couple <clears throat> pairs of dice, you know, because you can use the bowls or plates or whatever you yeah. have. And when you probably have a cup or a canteen or something yeah, you can it, use as like an ice cup. Absolutely. Or <laughs> I like it. Thumbs up. Okay, cool. Uh, the next pick is a little game called A to Z. Now, for this one, you're actually going to have um, – I recommend breaking up into teams because there's four player boards, and each of the player boards are um, lettered A through Z, 
and then a category will be shown, and you have to race to see how many words you can come up with that start with the different letters of the alphabet that fit this particular category. You know, for example, if it was cars, you could come up with, you know, Honda, Toyota, Ford, you know, any makes Lamborghini. of... Lamborghini. any makes of cars. However, um, I think you could probably change this and, you know, use, like like Steven suggested in the other one, some type of large flash card or something with the, you could even use your own categories once again, much like we were talking past the bomb, mm-hmm. you know, Cub Scout related activities or something like that. And I think you could probably even make, since each team is going to have their own thing, the the little boards that come with the A to Z are kind of small and they do have little red chips that I would recommend you wouldn't want to use around a campfire. You could easily make some type of magnetic thing with just little things that stuck to, you know, four big boards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you could even make them so that one person could be the moderator and maybe have all four of those boards on an easel and just keep track of all four Mm -hmm. of the team scores. Yeah, yeah. Um, So this is a game that we've liked to play. You know, we've played this for a long time, and I think you could easily adapt it towards this situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really like that with the teams, especially because with those kind of things, if you put seven year olds on the spot, there's probably going to be some that are really good and some that aren't. But if you're all working together, right? You don't, you know, you might have the one, you might only come up with one word, but it's the one that gives you more points than the other team, so you feel like you're contributing exactly. and stuff. So that's cool. Cool. Um, my fourth pick, um, actually, I'm stealing this from a game and a television show. <laughs> because the game Pictionary, oh, while, yeah. while by itself might not be great, but if you use the format that they did <laughs> the, um, in the game show and split up into two teams and have a huge easel. Win, lose, or draw. That is, oh, that's, that's what I'm trying to think. You're exactly <laughs> right. So if you steal Pictionary, mix it with the win, lose, or draw, I think if you took a big easel and got the kids up one at a time trying to draw stuff for their team to guess, yeah. it would just be a hoot. The other team could steal if yeah. they knew what it was. And exactly. They yeah, that's that's awesome. That's great. Cool. Um, and my final pick is kind of funny <laughs> because it's a variation on something we talked about in this episode, and that's Liar's Dice. And I know this works because I was silly and stupid and did it myself one time. <laughs> we actually, I made a Liar's Dice board that was like gargantuan and gave everybody, like 15 or 20 people, dice cups and some dice and let them shake them and make bids going around, yeah. you know, going around the table. And it was just an insane amount of fun. I mean, you could have as many as like 70 or 80 dice. Oh, yeah, I think there's 57 fours. <laughs> You know, and it's just silly fun. Um, might take a little bit of effort, not as easy as the other ones. Yeah, that's logistics would be my only concern. Right, exactly. If, I mean, and you would have to bring 70 dice, so that, yeah. you know, may not fit. Would you need the board? I mean, because that, just transporting. Uh, you, you absolutely wouldn't have to have the board. Because if you didn't need that, I would think that would make it pretty doable. Right, as, as long, you know, it just depends on the players. Yeah. And however things, this would be one that you would have to want to work. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to do it. The other ones I think could be easily done. Mm-hmm. You know, but liar's dice is such a fun thing. This, you know, teaching that bluffing skill. At, at that, <laughs> I think that would be a blast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That but, would be really good. I. Those are awesome choices, man. I. You did a much better job of thinking in terms of keeping the whole group integrated uh-huh. than I did because I just sort of I threw my hands up in the air and said, "Oh well, I, I can't, I can't possibly do twenty plus people for all five right. of these choices." Well, I really didn't because I threw my hands up in the air with that too, and immediately <laughs> knew that I really wasn't going to find any real. Ga- I mean, I, I kind of had to tailor make 
games that were out there to fit. So, but they all work really well. I mean, they're all. It's not like you're breaking those games, they're, right? They're still the essence of those games are there. So, I'm what I want to know what your other picks were. Well, we had passed the bomb. Which I, is really I can't funny. believe we. I, I didn't even think of doing it with the big group, though. I still my advice to him was, you know. Just in terms of being able, if you have adults and kids there, you could break down into groups. If you have oh, 20 or 24 absolutely. people, break down into four groups of six and have like little game stations. Right. And you can just set a time limit or something every hour. And you could even make it like a little tournament format where, you know, you could have you right. know, somebody who gets prizes for winning each like individual game. But then maybe the person who won the most over the time or something gets, you know, doesn't have to clean up tomorrow. Like yeah, ex- talking exactly. About. Um, so my other picks, without going into any great detail, were the Great Down Moon. Because uh, it's endless. You can play as long as you want or right. as little as you want. I think the little kids would enjoy the heck out of oh, that's you know awesome. making the scoutmaster the, the greater peon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's got to go make him some oars for you know <laughs> for the great Dal Moody. That would be very fun. Um, Demo crazy. Oh, which yep. it's a little deep, but I think it could work. It's it's definitely meant for a big group of people, and it's all about voting um, for certain laws to get passed. Right. And you can totally see you know the the little kids getting into you know having these goofy laws because the laws are all sort right. of social and having to do with what you're doing. It's while all you're sitting social, around right? To play. Exactly. Um, cool. Wise and otherwise. Oh. Um, which you'd have to have everybody'd have to have a pen and paper, uh-huh. but I mean that's easily I mean everybody could have a little notepad with them. Right. And this game's a really good little party game. It can scale up. You have to break it sort of in the way you've broken right. a few right. of yours where you don't use the board to keep track of score, but you could use an easel or just somebody keeping track on a paper. Right. They're all it's a box sort of trivial a la trivial pursuit, a huge box of cards with different Proverb, sayings, like, yeah. proverbs from around the world that are all um you know, just wacky. There's an old saying from Indonesia that the, you know, the... A wet bird doesn't fly at night or something, you yeah, know what I mean? Just but goofy. with blanks in there, and you have to either fill in the blanks or the end of the sentence, and so you're... It's a creative game in terms of you have to come up with the end or part of this saying, and then everybody votes on what they think the actual saying or end of the saying is. Um, that would be really fun, and it's just a lot of laughs. You know what I really like about that is the ability to adapt that to your own purposes, um, mm-hmm. As in, you know, if you didn't use those old proverbs, you know, you could use things that maybe would be teaching them oh, yeah. know, things that they were going to learn in Cubs. Yeah, you know, okay, that totally didn't occur you know, to me. Here's <laughs> something that they should learn, so we're going to give you half of it. Now, everybody guess at what you think you're saying. Yeah. At, you know, I mean, just <laughs> all kinds of goofy stuff. Excellent. That's much better than mine. But that's a cool game. And then last but not least, uh, our prize for the name that game, uh, Rage. Oh, Rage. I think because it has that, it's sort of... Uno like it's a little it's very, bit more complicated right. than Uno, but I mean, in that seven to eight year old range, I mean, that's you know, you're in your kind of at least I went through my Uno <laughs> phase or that kind of absolutely fast play card game. This adds a little bit more. You have to understand Trump, right? Which you know might be a little but in its basic tough. form, though. But in it's, its not, basic yeah. form, it's really not tough to yeah. uh, to understand. And I think it would be a hoot just because it is so <laughs> wild and woolly. Um, that if you broke up into small groups, all mine, the way I'm just. From the beginning, saying I cheated, and uh, and you can play that with ten, so you really only have to have two copies right. of Rage, which you could actually win two copies if you could <laughs> win the name that game two weeks in a row. Yep, <laughs> I don't think anybody can do that though. So <laughs> nah. <laughs> so thanks to Brad Sanford. Yeah, for that was a kind of um, giving both of us the challenge. Shoo, that that was tough. That's one of the toughest ones I think yeah, we had because you just had to completely think outside mm. of. The box big time. Yeah, hopefully we gave you some good suggestions. If if not for this camp out, because I think he's already gone on his. Oh, right. Maybe future ones, or there's other people out there who can who can use these. So awesome. I think it's time for me to 
yep. It is, uh, <laughs> Take I, my medicine. I hope this ends up being as challenging as the last one was for me. Oh, this great. is this is my own challenge. It's been a long time since we've actually used some of our own challenges because we've had so many great challenges Listen, submitted yeah. by listeners, and we still have a good log of those. Yeah. But I wanted to jump in. <laughs> we still get Yeah, that. yeah. It's my turn. I want to get you with this one, and I, I actually want to know what this is. I want you to find five games that you think are the best games that players can join or quit in the middle of the game, and it doesn't hurt the game. Because we're getting ready to come up on summer. Yeah. Nice warm weather. We're going to have, have big get-togethers, and a lot of times you want to play games, and you always people don't stay for the whole time. Right. And they ruin the damn game when they quit early. Yeah. Like, you can't quit. Yeah. <laughs> That's impossible. So, you are chained to this table yeah, until we are done. Exactly. <laughs> so try and find me five games that would be awesome. It didn't make any difference. You could just let people join in. You could let people quit, and it really wouldn't hurt the game. Okay. Cool. No, no size restriction in terms <laughs> no, of the No, none at all. None at all. Okay. That's going to be tough, but <laughs> I think I can do it. Cool. Awesome. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Mailbag. It's time for you to let us know what you think. Comments, questions, criticisms. Let us have it. So we have some nicknames to award awesome. before we get any further. We have three, three new donors to the site. So we have some game theme nicknames. Everybody who donates to the Spiel cause gets a game theme nickname. So we have three new uh, entries into the Hall of Fame here on the Spiel. And I'm excited to announce the first one because <laughs> this is a friend of ours that I did not realize he had donated. Yeah, this well, is, I didn't even know he was listening. I was ex- like, hey, exact, we know this guy. This is awesome. So first up... <laughs> Donor, Alex War Machine Andrews. Thank you very much for your donation. Thank you, Alex. (laughs) Then we have David Gooberhound Siskin. Had to be Gooberhound since he's been sending so many uh, Goober choices to us. Thank you, David. And then our last one I think is awesome. It's Larry Shoot the Moon Kruger. (laughs) And this is awesome because Larry just started listening, liked it so much, he just immediately donated. That's awesome, Larry. We, we love that you value the show, and it's awesome, and will keep us going well into the future. We Absolutely. So. Thank you very much. We, we totally appreciate it. So, um, on to the poll. Poll results. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, 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 we let this puppy run for two weeks, thinking there might be some change of heart, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but that just never happened. It was an absolute runaway winner. By hearts, amazing. Yeah. With a close second place. Well, I don't even know if it was a close second yeah, place. Yeah, it was. It was. It was within like 5 or 6%. Oh, oh okay. So that's the cool. the cribbage came back to make a second. But at least we got some responses as to why. I mean, yeah, lots absolutely. of people were moaning about uh, um, not not having spades as a choice. So the closest thing to spades was hearts. So people, which makes a lot of right, sense absolutely. why people. Now, let's get one thing straight with the poll here. You can write in whatever the heck you want. And that's why there are comments in the poll. So right. you can vote for spades. You know, I don't we never claim to have all the possible choices right. on the poll if you don't like what you see please just use the comment thing and those votes count we'll count those votes just like we do in right. the other ones if we have a ton of people logging on and saying hey spades <laughs> is it well, hey we'll go with that if we have a general revolt and, yeah, and yeah, people exactly. want something you can just put it in the right end thing and we'll add it so uh <laughs> that's uh I'm, the, I'm just glad to understand. I mean, and we got right. some. We have one coming up in the mailbag. I think actually from Larry Kruger with cool. a response about why he likes hearts and things. And so that's oh, okay. That was more my interest was just why is it you know why does it really you know 
get your juices flowing. And I flowing. think the great thing is since we let this run for a couple of weeks, we did get a good response, well over 100 oh, yeah. votes. Yeah. And that lets us get a good well, idea. Well, and even the winner, I think Hearts ended up winning with like 26%. So it's not like, you know, there's still a good representation of the other ones. Exactly. Is, we That more sort of evened out over the month period. So good, good idea doing the whole month. So the next poll that we're getting ready to start will run for two whole yep. episodes, so for a whole month. And that poll is going to be... Do you have a favorite game superstition? And if it is, what is it? And we've come up with a whole list of really fun little superstitions, so you'll have to log on and let us know if if this is you. So we'll start with, do you have a certain color that you have to play all the time? (laughs) Do you have to sit in a certain seat when you play? If so, do you have to sit next to a certain person when you play? (laughs) Do you have to roll the gold eye? Which I'll explain in a minute. <laughs> I had to throw that one in there. Or do you have to roll dice to find the lucky ones? <laughs> or do you obsessively organize your hand of cards before you know each turn? I never do that. Right. <clears throat> okay. Are, do you find yourself having to be the player that has to keep score or be the banker? <laughs> or do you have to have the same snacks and beverages? <laughs> I have to have my Mountain Dew and my, my Doritos or I can't play. <laughs> exactly. Or do you have to be the person that absolutely has to read the rules before you can play? Doesn't game? matter if somebody else knows the rules. You but, have to read them. Exactly. <laughs> that person has trust issues, <laughs> I think. Um, do you have to bring your own dice to play, Mr. Colson? <laughs> That's a gimme. Or last last but not least, are you the person that is the Michelangelo with your meeples? You know, the person who's always stacking and organizing perfectly all your little components over in your little game area. I know you're out there. So get on the website, thespiel.net. Let us know if you have any of these crazy superstitions. And feel free to add more to the oh, to the comments. There has I'm to sure be more of these. There are tons. Oh, the gold eye. So there's a group of gamers that I play with um, that we call ourselves the Rat Bastards. And I don't even know when exactly this superstition started, but just as an example, the gold eye is this 12-sided die. It's really big and chunky, and it has just made-up words on all the <laughs> sides of it, except one side says goal. And at some point... Uh, these gamers decided that every game session has to have a goal. So at at the beginning of every Rat Bastards game session, we before any gaming happens, we roll the die until we get a goal. And sometimes this happens in one roll. Sometimes it takes 80 rolls, but we do not game until the goal comes up and there's a giant goal cheer if we goal. And at the end of the session, the session doesn't actually end until the goal there's die a- is rolled at the end. I've had to drive back to Lebanon, Indiana, <laughs> To roll the gold eye, <laughs> because we had forgotten to How roll. How dare you even call me obsessive? You have a whole entire gaming group that's obsessive. <laughs> yeah, but see, I just, I was sucked into it, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I can claim, you know, <laughs> that I was brainwashed, at least. <laughs> or by you, maybe. That's great. No. But I just thought I'd share that, that little is, that's funny that superstition, because it's just so hilarious. I need to post a picture of that die and see if somebody can figure out what, where the heck, where the heck from. this game came, or this die came from, because I have no idea. I want to see it. I'd actually like to steal it, but... Uh, <laughs> you, the great rat would uh, bring oh. down fiery death and destruction on you if you did that. So on with the mail. Cool. So I want to start off. I got a great email from Josh Ostrander. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Um, right. He sent a freaking cool link to this like 
stop motion animation thing with dice that is I, I can't even begin to explain it. But we'll post. I'll, I'll try to embed a copy of it in our. Yeah, I, I just I followed the link and I watched this for I don't know it's four or five minutes long. Jaw dropped the entire way because I'm so addicted to dice. The amount of time and effort that had to go into making this little oh, music video. I'm a stop with motion nothing animator. but dice. Wow. I can tell you. I mean, it's just it's really amazing, amazing work. They're all done, and it's not just like little. Some of it's all sort of eight bit graphic style, so it looks like old Space Invaders and things like right. that, which you can kind of see because they're all cubes and pixels but parts of the animation oh. are like the band playing and it looks like sort of a three-dimensional you know yes, it's rendition of the band members playing really encourage you to check it out the actual um the music video was for a group called fujia and miyagi um that are german i think uh, or so i don't know exactly okay. where they're from <laughs> um the filmmaker though who deserves all the credit right um behind this video is wade Schotter of factory films from london uh, um and their their website is factoryfilms.net and um this definitely this filmmaker owes a great debt to uh, michelle gondry's earlier stop motion work he's a french filmmaker who um did a lot of stop motion music videos in like the uh, late 80s early 90s using like legos and things i bet you if you saw the videos you'd recognize them um, but I'm going to include a link to okay, um, yeah. to some of his stuff in there too. So if you like this, um, being a filmmaker, stop right. motion animator, and this stuff, this stuff really gets my right. This gets is, me going because I love love this stuff. You don't have to be a fan of just dice to to really appreciate this. It was cool. <laughs> if you are a fan of dice, it's it really awesome, off the charts, exactly. <laughs> So next, uh, BJ in the Netherlands uh, responds to my terrible Dutch pronunciation <laughs> from last episode. You remember he had the uh, the saying, uh, I can't oh, remember it. Uh, I'm meeple. meeple uh, not, I, I can't do it from memory. Can I. <laughs> um, but I did my best to try to pronounce it in Dutch. So he writes in and says, my wife and I laughed about, oops, sorry, we're amazed at how you pronounce the Dutch sentence so well. But if you ever visit the Netherlands, please give us a call so you don't have to order your meal in Dutch at a restaurant by yourself. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> I'm glad I won't starve in the Netherlands, thanks to you, BJ, because I'm sure I would without your help. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> so we got a great email from Tim Rogers in Greenville, Greenville, South Carolina, who sent us some pictures of some really cool homemade dice towers <laughs> that he's been working on. Not only did he send us the pictures of the dice towers, but he was a a past winner of the coveted spiel dice so prominently featured in some of his wonderful creations are our spiel dice so i'm sure we're going to post some pictures yeah, of that we'll so everybody those. can see these awesome 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 thank you very much tim um so lastly in the mailbag we've got a nice mail from larry kruger new listener in germantown wisconsin he writes in with some cool hearts variants and strategies and a cool card game from Cheeseland that I've never heard of. <laughs> um, so he writes, I spent most of my I spend most of my free time during my first few years at college playing hearts, euchre, poker, and cribbage, although I enjoyed hearts the most. We played three man, four man, five man, six man, seven man wow. elimin- elimination style to get down to the last three players. And we also played team versions depending upon how many people were interested. We also played an extremely aggressive style of hearts in which we were playing to either shoot the moon every hand or stop someone from shooting the moon every hand. (laughs) He says he continues to play this strategy against his family during the holidays, and he wins about half the time um, to the other players that try to avoid um, points. So that's a really cool strategy, I think. I've never really thought about playing that sort of hyper-aggressive way, so I may have to try that out. Um, He goes on to say that 
the best card um, game that he's ever played is called Sheep's Head, which is played very heavily here in Milwaukee and throughout Wisconsin. He says, we play it every day at work over our 30-minute lunch break, and it definitely gives him something to look forward to every day. Ah. Well, Larry, you got to tell us more about Sheep's Head. I don't know this game at all, so we we, we expect a, a right, response exactly. here. we got to find out more about I this Sheep's I have to know what Sheep's Head is. That sounds pretty cool. Is it a variant on some classic I, card game, or I, is it something that's so local, sort of like Euchre in Indiana? Right. That, you know, if you know, if you're from Indiana, you almost have to know about Euchre. Sounds I, like I if you're you from Wisconsin, it's kind of like that with I Sheep's I bet you it's something we've probably heard of. I remember <clears throat> games going around here like Tonker. I mean, just all kinds of weird stuff that nobody's ever heard of, but it's just... It's called Sheep's Head in Wisconsin, yeah, exactly. but we just don't so, know it by that name. So. Very cool. I'm excited Thanks, to hear what that is. That, that's some really cool info. So, um, it's time to close up the mailbag, wow. and I think time to put a lid on this episode. Your before. voice doesn't have very much longer to I go. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm surprised that I actually made it made it this far. Um, but I think we, we did a lot. We accomplished a lot here. We Absolutely. We did some skullduggery. I just had to say that again, because <laughs> I like saying skullduggery with uh, um, Scavenger Hunt. And then uh, Ink and Gold in oh, the awesome list. Awesome game. Really, really encourage you to check those out. So um, without further ado, I think we'll put a lid on episode 30. I'm Stephen Conway. And I'm David Coulson. So remember, whether it's the roll of a die. Or the turn of a card. Or the flip of a tile. You don't have to play to win. You, you just, just have, have to play. play. <laughs> I can still talk, exactly. sort of. He made See, it. I can really talk. I have a lot exactly. of voice left. I can talk as much as I want. Exactly. <laughs>